Hello and welcome to the new episode of Supplycast, the podcast from the Healthcare Supply Association. Uh, today's guest is someone who I guess there's no introduction. Everyone's going to know who today's guest is, but I'm going to give you an introduction anyway, because that's just the kind of guy I am. <laughs> and today's guest is Priya Bailey, uh, Director of Procurement Transformation and Commercial Delivery for NHS. Priya, thank you for finding the time to talk to us. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you for inviting me. So the first thing I was going to say is that Priya has told me straight off the bat that she's got a little bit of a cold, a little, little bit of a cough. And so I said, well, I, you know, I'll, I'll bring that up early on so that uh, if you have a cough, do you know, you know <laughs> as we're recording it, you're not going to start sort of panicking about, oh, no, I'm coughing and then all that. Most people are coughing at the moment, aren't they? So <laughs> I think it, it will just make it seem very topical. Not, and, and, and what I have, so I wouldn't worry about that for you at all. Okay. Um, to start off with um i was gonna go into a little bit about your background i have had an army of researchers looking at your uh, <laughs> background and by an army of researchers of course i mean mean me you and the internet <laughs> but um, there's some, some stuff <laughs> interesting background you know i was reading up on it and one of the things i want to start you off with is kind of I, I suppose kind of take you back to before you even um made the trip over to england i know you um you got you 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 were educated in Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. You got yes. degree in Zimbabwe. I was born in you, Zimbabwe, yes. Born in Zimbabwe, educated in, in Zimbabwe. Uh, you then had the desire to travel and you got a two-year two year work visa to England. Yeah, so there's, you know, the, the working holiday visa. So, so I was born in Zimbabwe and mm. I actually studied in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after when I finished studying, um, you know, we all get that travel bug. So I didn't take a gap year. Um, and I thought, yeah, I need to to travel. And England is the centre of the world. And so I came <laughs> to England. <laughs> so one of the things I liked about that is that every, everyone has a, an amount of money in their pocket when they travel abroad, <laughs> don't know, when they're young, this is sort of thing, you know, and, and invariably they bowled it off a parent. Mm-hmm. And I read that you borrowed £300 off your dad. Mm-hmm. And that was what you took with you. Is that is that accurate? It is true. So at the time, Zimbabwe was um, really going through an economic crisis and there was really no future there. Um, so £300 was actually all my dad could afford to give me. And so he gave me an open return ticket. So I had a one-year ticket um, return back to Zimbabwe and £300. And he said, there you go. You come back when your money's <laughs> run out. So, Yeah. <clears throat> So you he know was how obviously... to make 300 pounds go far. It doesn't go very far <laughs> these days, but it can make it go far then. So what, what when would this have been? What sort of year would this have been? Uh, 2004. 2004. Came... So, you had, so 300 pounds in 2004. I mean, <laughs> you know, not bad, not bad. Oh. Within a week, apparently, if these facts are correct, you uh, got a job at Hounslow Council mm-hmm. in data entry. Um, yes. Which is quite, you know, I've... I, that's quite a um, familiar job for people who are traveling and travel overseas. Um, I, I've yeah. worked for a number of companies where we had data entry people. So I know, I know the kind yeah. of thing. So you went to data entry. Um, you also worked in a supermarket, mm-hmm. uh, not just any old supermarket, the <laughs> Buckingham Palace. 
of supermarkets, <laughs> Waitrose. Waitrose. <laughs> I used to I used to live near um I used to a Waitrose many years ago used to be my local supermarket seriously um uh, etting <laughs> my weekly wage I must admit so you went to Waitrose <laughs> you were Waitrose you were working in the evening so day ten in the day Waitrose in the evening <laughs> sounds like a joke is that right yeah. that is, is that true right? three hundred the three hundred pounds <laughs> yeah. you're substitute you know you're getting up that three hundred pounds in your pocket um what so how did it go from there into getting into the kind of path that sets you on the hill? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the work I studied, so what I, my degree was in around economics, but it was also around sociology because um, it was just around how, how people behave and especially how markets behave um, was really what I studied at, in, um, at university. Um, and those were those were my, my majors and my masters. What I then, um, when I was working at Hounslow Council, I mean, it was the, it was a job I could get. I mean, I was earning seven pounds an hour, so not very mm-hmm. much, um, but I needed to start earning money straight away. Um, but even in that role, I immediately started looking for efficiencies. So how could I make the work that I was doing more efficient? Um, I asked lots of questions around processes as well. Um, and that's how I progressed within Hounslow. Um, and so one of the roles I took on within Hounslow um, was around the business manager. So I covered, I was the business manager across independent living, which managed the procurement. Um, so looked at all the contracts, had oversight of, of the contracts, but also worked with finance around managing the budgets. Um, and that's where, where a lot of my, um, my role in procurement began. Um, and then really starting to understand the regulations <clears throat> and and Oju and all of that was part of my learning um, within within Hounslow, but also in the different local authorities that I worked in. Um, what's very different to local authorities to to the NHS is is apart from Crown Commercial Services, um, which local authorities use as well, we don't have SCCL, we didn't have um, procurement hubs, so none of those other other commercial organisations exist in the local authorities. So when you're buying from a procurement, everything from joint ventures to outsourcing, to in-housing, to setting up frameworks, all of that is done locally. Um, And so I was able to really test and um, stretch all of my procurement skills, um, which is, yeah, which is really good foundation for coming into the NHS um, in this profession. And it didn't seem to take you, I mean, to to my, my way of reading it, you know, literally on paper, it didn't seem to take you too long to make your way through that once you was in uh, public sector procurement up to the position where you're in now, where you're in mm-hmm. terms of the NHS. Yeah. I, I saw a quote of yours, which again was, has been attributed to you, <laughs> which I assume is accurate. Um, put yourself out there, be present at the table, invite yourself and get involved. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> That if you look at if, if I look at your career progression, particularly when, once you went into public sector procurement, that seems to reflect. But how do you where did you find that mindset from to be like that? Because some people wouldn't, would they? they? They kind of start off and, you know, they might take their time. I mean, I think essentially your quote, what you're saying is, is that you was very keen to uh, move up the ladder and you yeah. didn't want to waste time in doing that I think that would be fair to say yeah where did you find the mindset so the mindset I think um 
I suppose one of one of the sayings in Zimbabwe is, is we'll always make a plan. I think mm. there's a lot of things when growing up um, that you you just you just can't get or you can't um, it's not available. And so but that doesn't stop you. You always find a way to work and work, work together. Um, I think some of a lot of what I talk about is family and the community about how people come together to really make a difference um, and to help each other. So I probably probably a lot of it has been growing up. Um, when I talk about being at the table, um, there's a particular reference for me about being a woman um, and just how as a woman you stand, you, you are present at the table. Um, I remember a meeting once where another, another colleague, female colleague of myself <clears throat> was, was, at, was at a meeting and she was making the tea and, and I thought that's fine, but, but you're here, you're not the tea maker, be at the table. Um, really own the role that you have um, and and be present. Um, I don't know if I was was ambitious around moving up the ladder. I think I was the person who was willing to be held to account in Mm -hmm. a lot of what what I did. And even when I first came to the role as the Chief Procurement Officer at NHS Improvement, um, I remember Paul West, who was at the time the Director of Procurement at NHS Improvement, I challenged him in some of the conferences, but also when he came to my trust and spoke to me and I said to him, this is what I need from the center to help me at my local trust to do my role. I need you to give that direction to the market. I need you to give that direction um, to our suppliers of how we expect, what we expect from them. Um, And Paul's challenge back to me was, well, we're going out to advert for the CPO, you know, put your money where your mouth is. If you're willing to challenge the center, actually, why don't you be one of those people who helps lead? Um, and I did apply. Um, and I will say the day the day of my interview was the most nightmare day because I woke up to find that my three-year-old had chicken pox and I was oh, just no. in such a fluster, um, which probably meant by the time I got to the interview, I just thought, let's just get on with this. I've dealt mm-hmm. with the crisis already. Um, but that was really what attracted me to come to, to the role. When, when I joined the CPO, I mean, even the last year, we'd had two people previously had only been in post for six months and there was really wasn't that continuity. Um, and part of me joining the team was, was I wanted to be the person who would say, you know, let's do this journey together. I'm not gonna have all the answers, um, but I will be open, I will be transparent, but I will be held to account um, and holding me to account that. So that's probably what's led to my change of roles, um, my progression of roles, um, mm-hmm. and to to why I do what I do today. One of the things, just skipping, I suppose, a little bit forward to mm-hmm. where you've got to this position that you're in now, mm-hmm. there's a couple of, uh, of, of key elements that have, that have come up. And it's interesting that, I think it was yesterday, the responses to the Green Paper on Transforming Public Procurement was published. Oh, yeah. And I know that in the kind of summary of that, one of the things was people, you know, in general liked the stuff, but they also recognised that it was another thing that was, implementation was another thing that was going to put pressure on procurement teams. One of the things that I've been very aware of since I've been working with HTSA is the pressure that procurement teams are under. In particular, mm-hmm. it's just, this is desire to know that the the center is fully aware of the pressures that mm-hmm. the pressure that's on them there was a moment um uh, quite early in the pandemic where the ppe uh, crisis is here 
Yeah. And then Health Secretary Matt Hancock actually mentioned procurement teams in one of the daily briefings. It yeah. was well received because they felt for the first time they were they were pushed forward. I mean, you could say procurement teams were now in the spotlight, or you could say they were now in the firing line. Depends how you want to look at it. <laughs> but they obviously felt uh, a pressure there, and I, I think a lot of there is an awful lot comes from the idea that is the centre fully aware of the pressure that's there. And what more could be done to relieve that pressure? And what would you say to that? Yeah. So I think, um, so I will, I'll start off by saying I, I believe procurement was in the spotlight. Um, mm. So I won't say about the firing line. I do mm. think it was really about um, the recognition of the role that our profession plays um, and how critical we are to supporting the frontline to ensure that they have the goods and services that they, that they need. I think really last year really showed um, and highlighted um, that for me and for, for teams everywhere. Um, so I'd, yes, I think absolutely about making sure that we, um, my, my previous finance director said to me, you know, when you join the center, make sure you, you keep it real, make sure you do keep in touch with heads of procurement, make sure you do keep in touch with people to know what is the most important in the front line. Um, and I do, I have some heads of procurement that I contact just to say, tell me how things are on the ground. Um, I also have the monthly um, national procurement forums. So to get that feedback from teams around what are the challenges that they're, that they're facing. Um, but when I started the process around the PTOM program um, just over two years ago now, I mean, the three, the three things I talked about with the team is, is what we need to do in, in the center was it needs to add value to the frontline to the frontline teams. So unmistakably adds value. So whatever we do, if it isn't adding value to the frontline, then, then we shouldn't be doing it. And, and again, it comes back to holding that to account um, is making sure that we get that feedback from the frontline teams that what we are doing is helping, helping people. I think the second is around how, how we work as a community. So it isn't just about the acute, it isn't just about the, the um, community and mental health trust, is actually how we come together as a whole system um, and understanding their pressures. And I think even reflecting on COVID and thinking about like the mutual aid, how we came together and shared, I think again, was just such a powerful message around collaboration. Um, <clears throat> but I think the one, I mean, two key things that are coming through from, from teams is around um, you know, vacancies and how do we attract the right people? Um, you know, when I was H at HCSA, that was one of the key things teams spoke to me about was, was just around how much of, you know, when they had staff that were off, whether it was isolating, you know, 15 to 20% vacancies, but also how they're losing people because there's so much pressure um, at the moment around delivery. So it is how do we support our teams coming together in terms of the finance resource that we have? How do we work together um, to support each other? I think there is the other bit around um, the supplier resilience um, and, you know, price increases and, and, and also just ensuring that we have got supply um, and not disruption to, to supply chain. Again, from the role of the centre, how do we work with the Department of Health? How do we work with SCCL? How do we work with frontline teams and specifically with those key suppliers to ensure we have that visibility around supply and stock? And how do we then make sure that it doesn't um, disrupt frontline teams? So. I think for me, um, I mean, I've, I've got meetings this week as well with, with different heads of procurements. It's making sure that I keep in touch with what's important to, to teams in the frontline, what are the pressures that they're facing, 
but also as the role of the center, what can we do to help people and to relieve some of those, those pressures? You mentioned, um, at the beginning of your answer there, you mentioned value. Our own uh, Chief Officer Keith <coughs> Rowley did a recent yeah. interview with Health Service Journal in which he was talking yeah. about trying to move away from preoccupation with price and moving over to value and sustainability. Yeah. Um, how how um, possible do you think it is to, to shift that focus from price to value? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think both are going to be important, um, Bruce. So I do think there is especially because a lot of the work we talk about social value and I think for me really passionate around um, NITSA and the work that we're doing around social value and sustainability that is where value absolutely is going to be fundamental it can't just be around the price um, I mean some of the conversations I've been having even with my team around some of the decisions we make it cannot just be about the price we have to look at the whole life cycle of a product um, and when we start to look at that whole life cycle of progress, actually, there's other elements of price and cost and value um, that are taken into consideration in that. So I do think the shift to value, um, I definitely think, you know, maybe 18 months ago would have been more challenging. We're now absolutely, I think, is, is important. The bit around price, um, what I will say is... It's price is important as well, only because we're seeing the price increases and how we manage those mm -hmm. price increases. Um, because if we don't manage those price increases, then where are we going to get the funding to cover those cost pressures? And what we don't want to do is have to take from the front line. So I think both is going to be important. Value mm -hmm. absolutely is going to be at the forefront, but but price, we, we need to manage those prices and keep the costs down um, to protect our services. See, the other major challenge at the moment is the transformation in PTOM. Mm -hmm. How do you think procurement can be, best meet those? How can the best meet those mm -hmm. around, <clears throat> around the PTOM change? Mm -hmm. So I think, um, I mean, when we started to talk about ICS changes, um, what my team launched a year ago now was the 34 Steps of what are the changes that need to happen um, on the PTOM program. By the end of this year, out of those 34, we will have launched 24 of those steps. So what I don't want to do is say to people, this is a list of things you must do and then leave them to do it by themselves. So what we've done is given examples of those 34. Um, we are still committed to, to doing all, all 34. So we've, we've done the 24 and hopefully by the end of March next year, we'll have done all 34. So on one side, give people examples that they can help themselves, but also what my offer has been to the different ICS is offer of support. So using the different procurement hubs across um, the NHS to work with all the local ICS teams and heads of ICS to help them to make those change and understand where do they really need the support um, around that change as well. I mean, one of the pieces of work, and again, feedback from teams has been around um, the social values, so the requirement that we have to put 10% social value weighting in to our procurements next year, more teams are saying they're struggling on how they're going to do that. And so practically, my team are now reaching out to say, for each of the ICSs, we want to work with you to identify at least one procurement that we will support you with around how you embed social value. So again, it's, it's not leaving a requirement out in the system, but actually working with people to help them um, and also developing examples that people can use to help them to, to, to make that change. Okay. Priya, you strike me as the kind of person who, when, when they take over a new role, has goals. 
You just struggle. I might be wrong. You struck me as the kind of person who you get your, your, your pad out or whatever you do it on and you, and you put some goals down for yourself. So I was kind of interested in, interested to find out when you took over the current role that you're in now, mm-hmm. what goals did you set yourself and how would you grade your progress towards meeting those goals? Oh, goodness. Um, so what goals did I set? Everything before COVID is like a blur. Sure, sure. Um, sure. So the roles, so one of the things was around, um, I mean, of course, with the Peaton program, that was a really big, um, mm-hmm. so the, at the time, two years ago, the blueprint was was designed and completed. Um, the goals that I set were around my team. So again, how do I structure my team to essentially support the rollout of, of Peaton? Um, the other area I did um, sit was around the skills, so people and skills work. Um, so one was aligning, so part of part of procurement was around raising the brand of procurement. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the ways I wanted to do that was when I looked across government, all the work that the government commercial function have been doing has been around you know, the GCF, the ADC, the accreditation. Um, and so what I wanted to do was almost build on that brand and show that actually the NHS also has that same level of brand as a profession for procurement. So one of my goals was around working with the ADC and with working with that team. And so I had to go through the day myself um, and I had to still do it when it was in person. Now it's on, online. So I had to go in and, and, and go through my, my drilling um, for the day. So, so good to get that under my belt. Um, but it was also about how to start building on that skills um, and that was why the skills development was one of the first work streams in, in Peton that was set was set out. So, um, so about goals, um, I also want a graduate um, in my team. So whilst we didn't have procurement graduates at that time, I did get um, a business management graduate into my team because with all my roles, even in local authorities, I always had a graduate in my team. Um, and so wanted a, a graduate in, in the team. Um, I think that one of the areas as well was around data. <clears throat> so I think at the time we had um, suspend comparison and I wanted to bring it in house um, because I wanted to really develop how and, and really dictate the roadmap um, around data and how to drive data. So those were probably some of the key, key areas. So more about my team um, and people and skills and then how to work with the system. Um, my team structured to support PTOM um, was definitely around um, around data, um, but yeah, I can't can't remember what else. But yeah, <clears throat> oh, and just and how would you? Yes, sorry. And yeah, and I was going to say, and how would you grade? How 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 would you grade? Where would you grade yourself with in terms of meeting those goals? Totally take case in point about COVID. Uh, <laughs> The C word, you mentioned it, I didn't. <laughs> oh, the C word. Um, well, my new C word is Christmas. So okay. I, don't, I, don't, I don't, my C word's not covered in my C word is Christmas. Um, so, <laughs> um, so how would I grade myself? I think the thing around, around data, um, so successfully brought it in house. Um, I think what we've been slow at doing is, is the development. Um, and I think you would have heard Nils at um, HSA conference talking about the work we've been doing in the background. I think we'll see a lot more in the next year of the team because in some ways they've been sort of quieter doing the work and now we'll start to, to share that. So um, I probably would have wanted to do a little bit more on that or faster on that, but um, 
but still good progress has been done has been done on that. Um, the stuff around the GCF, setting the foundation and aligning us to GCF um, in terms of commercial recognition, I think definitely. Um, my my team personally have been shortlisted for for awards for the GCF um, and had recommendations. So again, really good um, good work on that. I was I was really sad we didn't win the social value um, award because we've done so much work on social value, um, but really good recognition for for the team on on that. Um, so I think I think on the GCF, in terms of setting the foundation, I think that's been really good and really successful. I think it's now just really rolling that out and, and supporting the wider development, because I think this is the year where we're going to need more on, on supporting the right skills and attracting the right people um, into supporting local procurement teams. Um, and then I think with my team, I mean, I've got a strong team and a good team, um, you know, They've done so much work and they just, it's just really getting their, their profile out there and, and the credibility of, of all that they, they, they do. So, um, yeah, a really big, really big thank you to all of my team. Yeah. You've kindly mentioned the HSA conference, which we've just had in, just had in Harrogate. Yeah. <clears throat> you obviously spoke there. So I want to, by no means is this fishing for, for compliments, Priya, but the HSA <laughs> conference, uh, how important do you think You've been to a number of them. You, you spoke mm -hmm. one just a couple of weeks ago. <clears throat> how important do you think the HS? How do you find that HSA conference? Obviously, with respect yeah. to being face to face, um, how important do you think um, it is? How did you find the event overall yeah. in terms of the agenda, etc.? Yeah. Uh, first of all, could you ask me about that? About what your takeaways were from that? Yeah. <clears throat> so, I mean, I, I. I really loved um, attending this week. This year, I was more excited because, of course, it was was face to face. But what's what's really nice about HCSA, and I I've attended HCSA before. I was was a head of procurement, um, sure. and I think that's the bit for me, which which I think is so important. Um, I do see it as being like the procurement conference of the year. It's where it's like our conference. It's where procurement professionals come together. Um, mm -hmm and and we liaise and 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 a network but i also think it's not just for the heads of procurement mm -hmm. um it reaches more into the teams and i think if there was one thing i would say or challenge myself on um is i can name a lot of heads of procurement but i couldn't really name deputy heads of procurement or or who are sure. their next people um and i think i think that's what i really like about hcsa is actually you're able to really you you're able to reach into the procurement teams um, and and speak to those teams. So that for me was was really valuable. Um, I think it is. I think for me, there's a number of er areas that um, that are covered. I think you you're able to spotlight on on like SCCL. Um, I think the the legal update is always really valuable. Um, and it's it's that really rounded um, list of speakers from trusts talking about the challenges that they face. And I think. Um, I hope you just mind. So Emma James, so listening to her and just, you know, you can really still feel what people went through around COVID and their teams, but, you know, how they want to face going forward. Um, so I think hearing from heads of procurement, um, but also hearing from, from some of the national teams, I think is, is a really well-rounded um, set of speakers. So I do enjoy the events. I, I always go. Um, and so, yes, absolutely support and, and will continue to support um, HSA. I was, just, I was just smiling there because I remember when I saw you at the conference, you was um, 
you, you had a there was there was some of that of extremely long list of questions for you, <laughs> and, and uh, I could see that you know it was a good example actually of how you know people you know that opportunity to get your ears obviously important yeah. in yeah. in that in that scenario. We are always looking to expand membership, and in particular, we want to get we want a, a membership that reflects the um, the modernising procurement teams that we have now. So, i.e., diversity is high on that, mm-hmm. and also people younger juniors coming in. Yeah, would you encourage them? I know it's you know it might be a bit tricky in your role, but would you encourage them to be a member of something like HTSA? Those junior people coming in and attending these events. Yeah, so so I would um, encourage people. I think, I mean, I think HDSA is probably one of those organisations. I mean, you can probably do more than I can do in the, than I can do in the centre. Um, I do think there is around, especially some of you know the PDP. Um, so event yeah. that you had, um, you know, David Williams and my team supported that. I think again that is reaching out to different people within within procurement teams, but also getting them to to get that oversight of of what the national is and, the, and part of the bigger community that they are part of. So not just their team, but actually there's a whole procurement network and also um, the opportunities of of their own progression and opportunities for them to get involved. Um, so I think for me, uh, yeah, I would encourage people to to be part of HSA. So we're kind of we're rattling through things. We're almost the pro, we're almost done with the easy stuff, and and, and about to come on to the, <laughs> to the hard stuff, which is telling us about what films and music you like. Oh my but, goodness! Yes, yes. I about the, fear, that. the fear always appears in the eyes at that point. <laughs> what something that I wanted to um, uh, you, you, um, are there any more? You know, you've you've conquered. You must have conquered an awful lot of the goals that you set for yourself career-wise at this point. <laughs> Do you have? So I've got a couple of questions here. Do you have further goals yet to achieve in terms of your career? And the other side would would be when you leave this, whenever it is that that you you leave the, the role you're in at the moment, or you you feel the time is right to move on. What kind of legacy would you like to leave in that role? These are deep questions, Bruce. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, deep, I'm a deep person. <laughs> um, so I think, um, well, thinking about the legacy piece. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. So, um, so I think just in terms of 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 me and and um, my career, I think they they are areas that I'm really really passionate about. I think more and more. Um, I think it's probably come across around the social value and sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think linked to that is really the, is how we would change the market. So I think when you start to think about um, the goals that we've set around 2045, but, you know, if you think about every product, every service, every process in the NHS, how, how does that become net zero? Um, mm-hmm. You know, Every, every supplier that we engage with, touching and changing those products, but also still being clear on the standard of patient care in those products. Um, I mean, that's revolutionary. Um, and so, so for me, that, that is really exciting. So I think if there was more that I was going to do, um, it would be in the, the sustainability piece, 
but I think also I'm I'm probably completely biased but there is no way as exciting as the NHS to work um mm -hmm. when you look across government you know maybe there's some exciting stuff in in the MOD but you know it's it's narrow um when you think about the NHS and you think about everything um everything that we do from from the ambulances to you know big MRI scanners and you know, I was speaking to some um, cardio surgeons the other day about some of the stuff that's coming around um, robotics and, and et cetera. Oh. It's really exciting um, and really innovative and, and, and you're helping keeping people alive. Um, so I think for me, it's, I think I would find it quite challenging to find somewhere as exciting as the NHS um, and, and as, as important as the NHS to, to work. So I think, I think technology I think um, robotics process automation and 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 those automation processes, but I also think as especially around social value and sustainability. So, so wherever my next <clears throat> endeavor would be, it it probably will have something along those lines in, um, but but we'll see. Um, and I'm also really um, I'm really passionate about the brand of the NHS. Um, I think when I talk to colleagues you know, anywhere around the world. I mean, half of, you know, half of Zimbabwe is all over the world. When I speak to people, um, they're just amazed at what we, what we have in the NHS. Um, and I think there is something about how, how does that brand and how do we promote that brand across, across, across the world um, is, is probably something for, for me. Um, in terms of my legacy um, and what I'd want to, what I'd want to leave behind. Um, I think, um, I think it probably comes back to, um, I think the next few years are a, a big time of change in the NHS. Um, I think, you know, there's, there's all the challenges. We've got a whole operating model that's, that's changing. Um, I think I would be, would be the person who would be, I want to say our advocate, so that I really fought for what's best for procurement, that I really looked at what's most efficient um, and was the leader that, that, that looked in the eyes of people and said, we're going to do this, do this with me and, and let's go. Um, and that I stood by that and, and still listened to, to my colleagues, but actually was the person held to account um, for that. So I think, I think that's probably the legacy I'd want to um, see that I wasn't, I wasn't afraid to give the direction I wasn't afraid to to take the steps that was needed but also that I did what was best for for procurement and and of course best for, for our patients so um hopefully some of that is coming through um in my work now and so yeah one day when I move okay. on that's what people will think <laughs> okay that's great that's a good answer <laughs> we're gonna move on now to 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 the hard part which is <laughs> We're whisking you off to the, the, the section <coughs> that we call Desert Island Supplies. And regular listeners to this podcast will know that we're basically assuming that we're blocking you on a desert island, but there's plenty of food and drink. So you don't need to worry about that sort of thing. But you are allowed to take one luxury item, one album, <laughs> and, 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 a, and one film. Okay. So, First of all, Priya, what would be your luxury item? What luxury item would you simply <laughs> have to take to that I'd desert island? Take... Um, <laughs> so, 
so I'm, I, of course, I'm going to say my husband and my mm-hmm. little boy. Um, mm-hmm. I was going to joke and say I'm going to take the Pete on blueprint. Um, so <laughs> um, no, I did. I did have. A, I, did have <laughs> I did have a little thing. So, um, so I play the piano, Bruce. Okay. And I think I would take. I would take my piano. And the reason I um, is because. Um, I do I do really like music and so actually mm-hmm. when when I play which is really not often enough um you you can you can just be transformed it changes you I mean music absolutely changes you um yeah. and so that's what I would do I would take my piano because whether it's um you know the sun is coming down hard on you on the yeah. on the desert island um yeah. I'd be able to play my piano and just be transformed away and was, yeah Oh, yes. It's, 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 it's a trans. I've heard that it's a transportive uh, thing to do. I was going to. I was almost said there. It would transport you to a desert. <laughs> Maybe it would transport you off a desert island. Off the desert island. It. Yeah. <laughs> so you're taking your piano. It strikes me as a as, as, as a quite a clever luxury item because presumably, if you get caught for food or you want to do some fishing, you can use one of the wires, can't you? So you know. <laughs> You know, you can use one of the legs if you're having trouble building with the fire. <laughs> if firewood's a bit damp, oh, you can just snap oh, off one of the legs. There's, 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 there's all sorts of things you can do with it. It sounds like an extra Very choice. practical. What music would you be taking? Seems an odd question now, whether you would just, you know, tickle the ivories I on your own. But I was actually thinking I need to look at my... Um, oh, you can hear my my five-year-old has come home. Um <laughs> He's maybe so, made a suggestion. <laughs> so I, I just got a little wave. Um, <laughs> so, um, so yes, I think just in terms of, so I'm actually quite a big, um, I'm quite a big Queen fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I would take one of the Queen albums um, mm-hmm. with me to the island. So yes, I'm, that would be that would be my music. So yes, that's great. Oh. Um, yep. You know, Freddie Mercury from Queen, obviously himself was a yes. very accomplished pianist. So mm-hmm. uh, so that would uh, you know that that all knits together nicely. So finally, what would the film be? <laughs> oh, film. Um, so I hadn't thought this far into <laughs> my little <laughs> island. What film would I take? It's got to be a film that you're happy to watch. Oh, a TV show. Some people have picked a TV show. I'll allow it. Um, <laughs> it's got to be something. I guess you're not not going to get tired. You know, tired of watching. If there's one film, I suppose, or what a TV show, but I said there's a film that, that I you would, um, could watch over and over again, then you, you you wouldn't get bored of it because you're going to be stuck on the yeah. desert island. So, I have very interesting taste in in films. So the, the films, the type of films I really like are things like. Um, gladiator and braveheart and you know those sort of movies so it would be one of those um and i think it's because you know in the end it's they stood for what's right and yeah so yeah one of those gladiator Mm -hmm. braveheart those sort of movies i really like so i would take one of those because i do tend to i want to feel good yeah let's watch a little bit of that yeah so 
yeah. I think I think that's great choices, and, and I, I can totally see. I might have guessed you'd pick something like that, actually. Pretty, you know, <laughs> something sort of good, pub thumping, two hours plus to get to the feeling. days. Yeah, um, we've come. We've just about come to the to the end of the podcast here. So I'm going to thank you again for making the time. I know you're very busy, so thank you very much for making the time to appear. Well, thank you, Bruce. No, it was really good. It's my first podcast. I, it's your so first podcast. You. Uh, well, I'm, de- I'm delighted. I'm delighted <laughs> that we managed to, to nab you for your first podcast. We can um, wel- welcome, you, welcome you on again at some point when we have something to talk about that we want to get into. Uh, before we go, I do have, it's just occurred to me, I do have one last question for you before uh, I wrap up the po- this episode, which is, did your, did your dad get the £300 back? So, at the moment... Um, <laughs> Is he still waiting for it? <laughs> so, um, so, at the moment, my family... It, Zimbabwe is really, really difficult. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, everything from the things that we take, take advantage, take for, advan- take, take for granted, um, yeah. they, 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 they don't get. So, um, I send home to help my family more than 300 pounds a month. So, <laughs> did, so he did you make... play as a good <laughs> for him. <laughs> so if you ever rang up and said, uh, uh, Priya, it just, I just, I was just thinking the other day out loud and uh, remember that 300 pounds you took to England? <laughs> it's a lot of interest. <laughs> That's excellent, Priya. Thank you again for, for, for joining me. It's been brilliant. Um, I hope you can join me again on the next episode of Supply Cast. Bye. Perfect. Thanks, Bruce.